take your Bibles and I want you to turn to start with tonight to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. In my studies today, I'm just really drawn to some principles that uh, certainly have been taught before. But 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. And Peter said, even though you know these truths, even though they are established in your life, it's important to remind you of it and even though we know truth, we still need to be in remembrance of it, lest at any time we should let it slip. It's important. Line upon line, precept upon precept. The next verse says, Yea, I think it meet. It's, it's fitting. As long as I am in, the, in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. That phrase, stir you up, it really means to, to wake fully. Uh, kind of has the idea of drowsiness to it, where you're not catching everything because you're not fully alert. And so that stir you up means to wake fully, to arouse, to raise up, and it carries the meaning of moving forward. And so Peter said, uh, it's important to move forward in your Christian life to be remembering things that you already know. Romans 15 and verse 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And so, even though some of these principles have been certainly taught before, they're important for us, and I really believe this is the direction the Lord has for us tonight. And and so I want you to follow along with me and take your Bible and turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. The Bible is full of characters. Uh, obviously, we know that some are good, some are bad. Uh, but the Bible is full of characters and actual things that happened in people's lives and the things that happened in their life as recorded in Scripture is always for our learning some way uh, somehow, and because in the things that are recorded concerning their life, there are some powerful lessons to be learned for our own life, for our own conduct, and ultimately for our own relationship to the Lord. And so I want you to follow along with me tonight as we consider this character of the Bible and his life, because there are some things that I think will be challenging to you and and encouraging for us tonight, especially in where we're at in our church and the things that are, have been recent in our church. And so open your heart to the Word of God tonight, and let's learn some examples uh, from one of these Bible characters. In Second Chronicles 16, I want you just to look at, for right now, verse 9. The Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show Himself strong, in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Then Asa 
was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people the same time. I want to talk to you tonight about the foolishness of Asa and learn some principles from God's word for our own life. Let's, let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you challenge us from this passage of Scripture here tonight and others and, and to take these principles to heart, uh, Lord, because they do relate to our own relationship with you and our own life that we would live. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray that the word of God would be rich to us here tonight and each heart and mind would engage. And Father, that we would be quick to apply to not just be hearers, but doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to consider, before we get into this passage here, I want, to, I want you to consider, first of all, the life and the story of this man, this king. We need to go back to chapter 14 for some of this. And I want you to note how that initially King Asa started out as a very commendable king. In chapter 14 and verse 2, the Bible says, And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. All right? So here's the basic foundation of him early on is that he did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. He was pleasing to the Lord. There were some things that made him pleasing to the Lord. Look at verse 3. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves. We note here that Asa did that which is good in the sight of the Lord. We note that he removed idolatry from the land and was, was encouraging uh, uh, godliness and pointing people towards true worship of the one true God. You look at the very next verse, verse 4, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandments. Not only did he remove idolatry, but the Bible says that he commanded the people to seek the Lord. Now, the word command there doesn't mean um, you have to do what I say to do. He didn't command them to seek the Lord, but the word means to challenge them, to charge them that they should seek the Lord. His heart was that, that, that people would come into a better relationship with God themselves, and he challenged them in this. You know, we can't make people seek after the Lord. We can't make people truly serve the Lord, but we sure can help encourage and challenge people to. And in fact, that's what we're called to do. In Hebrews chapter 10, and verse 24, the Bible says to consider one another, to provoke unto love and to good works. That word consider in Hebrews 10, it means to fully observe. If we are to consider one another, to fully observe one another in the church, listen, there's an implication there of some personal responsibility and accountability to each other. Amen? You and I are not islands unto ourselves. And the things that we do and the way that we live and the attitudes we portray, listen, they don't just affect you and me. And we understand that very clearly, don't we? But all too often, we don't understand it until it's too late. 
but to have the mindset and the heart that we're to fully consider one another. I have a responsibility to my fellow church members. Listen, me just being in church is not about all, all about me just coming to hear preaching. Listen, there's, there's other people that, that I'm responsible for and accountable to, and other people that I can impact. It makes a difference. And we're commanded to consider one another and to provoke unto love and to good works. That means to incite to good. To incite to good. We ought to have that kind of life and that kind of an example that encourages and challenges others to seek after the Lord themselves. Do you have that kind of a testimony? Is that how your church members know you? As one that is encouraging or inciting to good, provoking to good, provoking to a greater relationship with Christ, with the Lord themselves. Well, Asa challenged the people to seek the Lord, the Bible says in verse 4. He did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. He removed idolatry from the land, from his own life, to help promote and challenge and charge others to seek the Lord themselves. Look at verses 6 and 7. And he built fenced cities in Judah, for the land had rest, and he had no war in those years, because... The Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said unto Judah, Let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars, while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought Him, and He hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Now notice this here, that he feared the Lord... He publicly sought after the Lord. He challenged people and charged people to seek the Lord themselves. And he says that because we have sought the Lord, because we have sought Him, God has given us rest on every side. And there was no war in those years. They had the blessing of God on them because they sought the Lord together. We read down a little farther in this chapter. You get down to verse 9, and notice the trust that he has in the Lord. And there came out against them Zerah, the Ethiopian, with an host of a thousand thousand and three hundred chariots, and came unto Mirashah. Then Asa went out against him, and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephathah, at Mirashah. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let not man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa for Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Notice his trust in the Lord here. 
The battle is set in array. And notice what he said. He cried to the Lord. He said, Lord, it's nothing for you. You can help by many or by few. You can give help to those who don't have any power of their own. Why? Because you're God and we rest in you. And in thy name, for the Lord's name, we go against this multitude. So you see his trust in the Lord. You see his motivation for the Lord's glory here. There's a lot of things that are commendable here about this king. Notice in the next chapter, in chapter 5, or 15 rather, excuse me, chapter 15, and skip down to verse 8 in chapter 15. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon, for they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa, and they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all of their heart and with all of their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with cornets. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all of their heart and sought him with their whole desire. And he was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. Notice how devoted he was to the Lord and how he caused others to be revived here. Because his own heart was seeking after the Lord. Because he challenged others in their own relationship with the Lord. Here he was instrumental in causing some, some real revival to take place among the people. And all of them together committed and covenant, made a covenant together. Let's do this together. Let's walk with the Lord together. Let's not allow this any more among us. And the Lord's glory and the face of the Lord was their whole desire, the Bible says. And the Lord was found of them. His presence was there. And He gave them rest round about. What a, what a commendable, exemplary king Asa was. That's how he started. And I want you to notice, second of all, the collapse of the king. Go to chapter 16. And I want you to follow along in the first ten verses. The Bible says in the sixth and thirteenth year of the reign of Asa, Baasha king of Israel came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in 
to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, that dwelt in Damascus, saying, There is a league between me and thee, and there was between my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go, break thy league with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. And Ben-Hadad hearkened unto king Asa, and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they smote Ijon and Dan and Abimelim and all the store cities of Naphtali. And it came to pass, when Baasha heard it, that he left off building of Ramah and let his work cease. Then Asa the king took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof, wherewith Baasha was building, and he built there with Geba and Mizpah. And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord... He delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And then... The Bible says Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Here we notice the collapse of the king. And how did that happen? How did things come about to where he ended up this way? Where did Asa go wrong after being such a good example and such a good and commendable king? Well, there's some principles in here, and there are some things in here that we notice about Ace's life that, that you and I need to remember. First of all, we find that, that, the reason, that the reason that Asa collapsed and that Asa failed was because he stopped relying on the Lord and instead started relying on men. We saw in verse 2, that Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasure of the house of the Lord. Why did he do that? Because, verse 1 tells us, that Baasha, king of Israel, came up against him and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go in or come out to Asa, king of Judah. And so he devised this little plan. And he says, all right, I'm going to bring silver and gold out of the treasure of the house of the Lord. He sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria that dwelt in Damascus, and he's like, hey, let's make a league. Let's make a, uh, let's make a pact together here, because there was with our fathers. And if you do this for me, it's going to cause m- some of my problems to go away. We notice in verse 7, the Bible says, and at that time, so at the same time that all this is going on, Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria 
and not relied on the Lord thy God. Therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. The first step in Asa's demise was that he stopped relying on the Lord and he started relying on men. This was the start of his collapse, putting his hope in men. The Bible says in Psalm 146 and verse 3, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Psalm 118.8 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Listen, there was a a time in Asa's past when he cried out to the Lord and he sought after the Lord for help. In chapter 14, we read about it. In verse 11, the Bible says, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for thee to help with whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. Why didn't Asa do the same thing that he did back then? There was a time when he used to cry out to the Lord, and he sought after the Lord for help. There was a time when he had experienced the hand of the Lord in his life because he sought after the Lord. There was a time when he was encouraged to continue in chapter 15 and verse 2. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. It's not as if Asa didn't know. It's not as if he didn't have experience of the hand of God in his life. It's not as if He wasn't encouraged by others to keep serving or seeking after the Lord. And if, if, if you seek after the Lord, He's going to be found of you. But if you forsake Him, He's going to forsake you. And the point that I'm making here is that somewhere along the line, Asa forgot where his real help came from. And herein thou hast done foolishly. And herein thou hast done foolishly. The beginning of collapse in any person's life is when we stop seeking after the Lord and we start trusting either in men or in ourselves. The second thing that I note here is that not only did he stop relying on the Lord, but he didn't heed God's rebuke in his life. Look at verses 7 through 10 of chapter 16. And this just shows the the mercy and the goodness of God here, that he stopped seeking after the Lord, but God was gracious and he gave him a chance. And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host, and very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth 
to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. And then the seer says, Herein thou hast done foolishly. You know what King Asa didn't do here? He didn't humble himself to the rebuke of God in his life. He didn't heed it. The Bible says that he was angry. Look at verse 10. Then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. He got angry with the seer. He got angry with the, with the rebuke of God in his life. He was in a rage because he was being called out. He was being shown what the problem of his heart was. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 15 and verse 5 says, A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 13 says, Better is a poor and a wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. When you get to the point in your life where you can't be admonished anymore, where you can't be instructed anymore, when you just outright dismiss good instruction or godly advice or any counsel of that, listen, the Bible says you're a fool. It doesn't matter how long you've lived. It doesn't matter what experience you have in your life. Old men are not always wise men. The point that you get to when you can't be admonished anymore, the Bible calls you a fool. Listen, as long as Asa was looking to the Lord, the Lord was with him. The Lord gave him peace. The Lord gave him rest. But somewhere along the line, he left off doing those things that brought blessing into his life. And fearing an impending assault from Israel's army, the Bible tells us that he entered into a league with the king of Syria. And when that happened, the Lord was watching. And a seer by the name of Hanani came to Asa, and he rebuked him for relying on the king of Syria rather than the Lord. Asa was straight up guilty. And in times past, he cried unto the Lord in similar situations, but he now places his confidence in the help of men instead of the Lord. And when the prophet rebuked the king for this foolishness, rather than humbling himself, and rather than accepting the correction, the Bible says Asa was wroth with him and in a rage because of it. That's a big mistake. This king who had such a good testimony of depending on the Lord and seeking to please the Lord became angry, which caused him to reject the correction in his life, which then led to other consequences. And ultimately, we'll see this in a minute, that ultimately he died in disgrace. Verse 
Let me just say this to you before we get to the lessons from Asa's life. Life decisions, many, if not most, of life's decisions end up having long-lasting and even permanent consequences to them. It is so critical to keep on seeking after the Lord. Because you can't go back! That needs to be a lesson to all of us. There's a reason why the Word of God tells us to be sober and to be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is looking to devour you. You have to be on guard. you got to be serious and sober-minded. And when Asa stopped seeking after the Lord, relying on his own thinking and his own understanding, that was the beginning of his downfall. And then it got to the point when God even gave him a rebuke instead of humbling himself and receiving correction in his life. He rejected it. Well, that ended up having some permanent consequences to it. So I want you to note with me, secondly, the lessons from the life of Asa. And there are a few lessons that can be learned from this very sad account. The first one is this. The past does not guarantee our future. It didn't for Asa. Just because we were walking with the Lord at one point in time doesn't mean that we're going to be walking with the Lord in this point in time. The past doesn't guarantee our future. We should be cautioned that any of us can put our confidence in men. We can start relying on our own understanding or thinking. We should be cautioned that when we start to put our, our trust in the temporal things in a time of need, rather than trusting in the Lord, we're already taking steps in the wrong direction. Just because we've trusted in the Lord in the past, just because we've been walking with the Lord at some point in our past, doesn't guarantee that we will today. And the point is this, we must daily, daily, daily choose to yield to the Lord and trust in Him. Young people can't rely on the faith of their parents. Young people can't ride on the coattails of their parents. Church members cannot rely on the spirituality of their pastors. You're responsible for you. You're accountable for you. The Word of God can be opened. There can be a charge and a challenge to seek after the Lord. Amen? But the responsibility is up to you for yourself. There might be a time in your life when you've been more spiritually minded. There might be a time in your life where you experience the great blessing of God. 
But friend, the past doesn't guarantee your tomorrow. Proverbs one twenty nine says, For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. That's a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. It speaks of the fact that God gives knowledge. It speaks of the fact that God is merciful. It speaks of the fact that God is gracious. But you have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. And those that did not choose the fear of the Lord, and they would none of my counsel, they despised the reproof. That has lifelong consequences. Therefore, they're going to eat of the fruit of their own way. And they're going to be filled with their own devices. The lesson is, is that we have to be diligent today. Amen? And choose today. The second is this. Our spiritual condition is often revealed by how we respond to correction. What was in Asa's life? God gave him a chance. God gave a rebuke to him, a correction. Correct your way. But his response was that he was angry. And this should strongly warn us, friend. He responded in anger to the voice that sought to turn him around, the voice that sought to turn him from his own way of destruction back to God's way of blessing. And the Bible says that he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And the principle is that there's a lot that can be learned about one's spiritual condition by observing how they respond to correction. The Bible tells us that God gifts His churches with pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The Word of God also tells us, Paul told Titus or Timothy, I can't remember exactly who it was that he said it to. But he said, you teach these things. It might have been Titus. You teach these things. With all diligence you teach these things. Because the grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness uh, and worldly lust, that we should live soberly and righteously in this present world. Sometimes, sometimes there needs to be rebuke and correction we get it from the Word of God, certainly, but sometimes we get it from the mouth of others. And when that instruction or correction is given because they're watching for your soul, it is incumbent upon you and me to heed it, to listen to it, to submit to it. But when we get an attitude or we start to bristle or we. Listen, there's not anything to pray about when clear principles from God's word are laid out in front of us. You're like, well, is the Lord really telling me this? Is the Lord really telling me to do this? Hey, there's nothing to pray about. Obey it. Because it's God's way. Amen. 
There's a lot that can be learned about a person's spiritual condition by looking and seeing how they respond to correction. You know what? There's a part of us that doesn't enjoy being reproved. Duh. Obviously. And the part that doesn't like it is because it's injuring our pride, ourself, inside. It's not uncommon, though, for one who is confronted with the error of their way to start to become defensive or to start making excuses for their behavior. Our pride doesn't want to admit that we are wrong. But the Bible says that reproofs of instruction are what gives us life. They're a way of life. And if we can learn to humble ourselves and receive instruction because it's good for our soul, then we can grow and we can have real life. When someone gets been out of shape or someone is really resistant to good instruction from God's word and principles from God's word, it's a reflection of what's really in their heart still. Are you repentant? Well, if you are, there's not going to be reservation or reluctance or hesitation or anger over reproofs of instruction. The Bible says in Proverbs 9 and verse 8, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. See the difference in the heart? Verse 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. There's not a one of us that doesn't still need to be taught something or other. There's not a one of us that doesn't need to learn more. We become scorners and we become fools when we can be no more admonished. And the third lesson that I want to draw your attention to is in verses 11 through 13. And that's this, that our response to the Lord has lasting consequences. In verse 11, And behold, the acts of Asa first and last, lo, they are written in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Asa in the thirty and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease... He sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers and died in the one and fortieth year of his reign. And they buried him in his own sepulcher, which he had made for himself in the city of David, and laid him in the bed which was filled with sweet odors and divers kinds of spices prepared by the apothecary's art. And they made a very great burn, burning for him. The principle here is that our response to the Lord always has lasting consequences. 
A wise man will listen to and receive instruction and correction in his life. But the Bible refers to the one who resists reproof as a fool. I think what is notable here is that Asa could have received correction. He could have acknowledged his mistake. He could have repented when it was brought to his attention. And had he done so, there would have been forgiveness with the Lord. He would have been better for it. He would have grown from it. He would have found mercy with the Lord when God gave him that chance. But unfortunately, and to his own demise, he became angry and it affected the rest of his days. Verse 12 says that he was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease, he sought not to the Lord. The Lord chastens and corrects every one of His children. Amen? And no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. But afterward, when we yield to that chastening, afterward it brings about the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life. God knows what He's doing, and He sometimes uses things like that to get our attention. I wonder if the Lord was trying to work in Asa's heart to get his attention through that disease. But even in his disease, he didn't seek after the Lord. He went to the doctors. How do I get out of this thing? The application is simple. How many tragic stories can be told of those who something happens in their life? Maybe they get out of joint over something. They wouldn't listen to reproof or correction in their life. They stop seeking after the Lord for themselves. They don't have a close walk with God. When correction comes into their life, they don't heed it. Ultimately, they end up gone. And their life is never the same. How many can be told of Stories like that, and if you look at their life even today, there's nothing about them that even resembles a Christian. How does that happen? How does it get to that point? Well, the truth is that our response to God when He is merciful and He's gracious, and even when He brings correction into our life, our response can have devastating, lifelong consequences to it. And so may we ask the Lord for His help, amen, that we always yield to Him, that the Lord not let us wander from Him. And Lord, if I start to, don't let me do it! Draw me back to You. And I would close with this one passage of Scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. First Corinthians 10, 11 says, Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, 
lest he fall. This is in reference to Israel. And the Apostle Paul went through and made a history, a historical account of the nation of Israel and their wanderings in the wilderness. And the Bible says that with many of them, God was not well pleased. And he goes on and talks about what they did. And then he makes the application and he says, all of these things that happened to them, they're examples for us. They're written for our admonition, for our learning, so that we don't end up in the same place. And so, any of you that think you're standing or think that you're doing well, take heed in your own life lest you fall. We would be foolish to not learn lessons, amen, from other people's lives. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Let's be sober. Let's be vigilant. Let's be on guard. Always. Let's covenant together to do that. Amen? That God would be glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, use your word and the challenges from it tonight to encourage and like Hebrews 10, 24, Lord, that we would consider one another and understand that we have an accountability to each other, that we have a responsibility to each other to provoke, to incite to good works, to be an example, to be an encouragement to be better, to trust in the Lord, to seek after the Lord, to walk with the Lord. There's so much safety there. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn the lessons. And when there's a rebuke or admonishment that comes into our own lives, Lord, that we'd not be proud or arrogant or stubborn but humble and receive instruction. Find forgiveness with the Lord and grow and be better. And Lord, I pray that you'd knit our hearts together with one mind and one accord. Lord, that we would purpose together to walk with you, to trust you, to fear you. Lord, I pray that you'd give us your grace and your help. In Jesus' name, amen.